What's up, guys? Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host for this ad space and the podcast. This is Kevin Estella. I'm one of the directors of training here on the survival side, but we tend to do a little bit of everything. So uh, this podcast is going to be a really, really slick one. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. It's uh, with a good friend of mine, a martial arts instructor of mine that I've known for over a decade and someone who uh, definitely sees the world through a different set of eyes and has a training routine that I think a lot of people can embrace. And I mean, just a good, good dude. But this podcast would not be possible without our sponsors. And the two sponsors, the two supporters of ours that I want to highlight the most are Six Hour and Black Rifle Coffee. So Six Hour, amazing manufacturer of firearms. I'm currently carrying a SIG 320. And uh, I'll tell you something, the, the SIG 320 is an amazing pistol. I mean, you can take one fire control unit and make I don't know how many different variations of that pistol. And it seems like there are more and more accessories coming out for it every single day from different threaded barrels to aluminum frames. The probably the coolest of all the variations is the AXG frame. The one that uh, I think it's AXG. It's the frame that's all aluminum. It actually feels like the classic line of pistols, like the 220 and the 226, 228, all that. So uh, they're one of our great sponsors. Uh, all the folks here, I've had a lot of time behind uh, SIG guns, and I always tell people my my MPX is probably my favorite uh, pistol caliber carbine that was ever created. It's just such a fun gun to shoot and incredibly, incredibly reliable and, and accurate for only a four and a half inch barrel. So please check out SIGSour.com. Check out their social media. If you get a chance, go up to the SIGSour Academy. I've taken a bunch of courses up there. And the instructors are all top notch, uh, not to mention there's a lot of cool things that you can do around SIG and uh, you can make a good weekend out of it. So start off with all the basic classes, work your way up through some of the advanced classes, go see the guest instructors. Again, amazing, amazing company. The other company that is bringing this podcast to life is, oh yeah, uh, that is Black Rifle Coffee. And that is a ready-to-drink Black Rifle Coffee espresso. It's espresso, not expresso. I don't know what pisses me off more. People saying espresso or people that drive really slow in the left-hand lane when they should be moving over to the right-hand lane. But uh, Black Rifle Coffee, they're located over in Salt Lake City. Evan and the boys, uh, the whole team, really, really good folks. And they are definitely, definitely huge supporters of ours and we're supporters of them. So uh, whether you guys drink their ready-to-drink stuff, you decide to do their uh, you know, coffee beans, ground or whole, uh, whether you decide to do their K-Cups, just drink the coffee. It's good coffee. It's uh, veteran owned. And like I said, we would not be doing what we're doing if it weren't for Black Rifle Coffee. So please check them out. Um, and if you're looking for like the perfect day, drink Black Rifle, bleh, drink Black Rifle Coffee and then go shoot some guns. Go shoot some SIG guns. All right. Without further ado, here is this podcast. Again, brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee and SIG Sour. All right, guys. This is a podcast that I've wanted to do for a while. Uh, this is one that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my God, who's the next guest you're going to have on the podcast? You know, is it going to be this guy or that guy or this guy? And like, everyone's looking to these new connections that I'm, I'm making here at Fieldcraft. But this is one that I've wanted to do for a while because this is a connection I've had, a friend that I've had for well over a decade and someone who has definitely like helped forge like who I am today with like all the training and good discussions and, and a lot of just fun 
over the years, uh, which training and fun are, or can be synonymous. Uh, this podcast guest that you're about to hear today is none other than uh, my good friend, Sifu Chris Smith from IMBCT in Connecticut. And Sifu Chris is, I mean, the guy is amazing when it comes to grappling, striking, uh, a philosopher in a lot of ways, all around good guy. And he's someone who I've learned so much from physically, but then I've also learned so much from just talking to him and, and just hanging out and grabbing a beer or whatever it may be. And I think you guys are going to really find that the message that he has is one that you should take to heart. And it's a concept that's universal. It's one that it's not just going to apply to, to the combative arts. It could apply to the skill sets that you have for maintaining your home, the skill sets that you have for, you know, healing people that are injured, whether it's boo-boos or trauma, right? Like just listen to what this man has to say and tell me you didn't learn anything. And I'll tell you that you're a G damn liar. So without <laughs> further ado, here is my good buddy, Sifu Chris Smith. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm great. I am great. I'm happy. Uh, I just got back home from a, a retreat and, um, it was great, but uh, sometimes being gone from home makes you realize how great it is to be home, to have a home, et cetera, et cetera, you know? So I'm awesome right now. I'm on top of the world. Yeah. And that retreat was in Hawaii, which we, we've talked about this before, where you can travel to Hawaii and it doesn't feel like the United States, but you have the security of the United States. Um, yes. And there's a stronghold of grapplers from Hawaii. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, there's actually, it's weird. Uh, well, I shouldn't say weird. It's interesting. The Hawaiian culture. So, I mean, they are United States citizens, but it's like you said, it's like you're, you are, but you're not, you know what I mean? And, um, they, they are a proud, I want to say warrior culture. I mean, you've got a strong Filipino community there, uh, strong Samoan, uh, and Polynesian community there. Um, and, and a strong Japanese community and they're all, they all come with, uh, their own brand or their own spin on warrior culture. And it's just a very strong, empowering place. Um, it, it was weird. It, it's like you're in the United States, but to your point, you're not in the United States. Yeah. The, the, with Hawaii, a lot of people don't realize that like the hula dance was actually designed to d disguise combative arts, right? And I saw a demo of a guy do the hula, if you want to call it that, where he's stomping the ground, gravel ground, and he's dragging people across the gravel and he's barefoot the whole time. And all of us are like, holy crap, like I'm not being called up to, to be his, his uki, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, and they're, and they're some of the most powerful and the biggest individuals I've ever seen, like big Samoan Hawaiian Pacific Islanders. Like, like people say, they're like, oh, you're, you can't be Filipino. You're, you're, six feet tall, 215 pounds. I'm like, well, that's maybe the Polish side, but like I'm small by standards of certain Polynesians, you know, like, Oh yeah. There's some oh, yeah. big boys over and big women too, but yes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a lot of that. Um, so it was great. It was cool. And, um, it was, uh, uh, I guess you could say eye opening in that I, saw things that like I just took for granted you know what I mean like um there's fruit everywhere there, there, there's chickens just walking around there's chickens walking around everywhere which I never knew that you know um and they're protected mm -hmm. um 
So, I mean, while you can get chicken on the menu at a restaurant, but you can't like there's I mean, there's literally you're walking through the park. There's just random chickens. You're walking on the beach. There's another random chicken. You're at a bar, an outdoor cafe. And here comes a random chicken. (laughs) And, you know, you got to be careful because you can shoo them away and stuff, but you're not supposed to hurt them. They are definitely protected. Yeah, those chickens, uh, they were there was like a uh, there was a, a chicken farm. And I guess there was some hurricane or some storm years ago, and it distributed them around the islands. And now they're, wow. they're just all over. So, you know, you talk to local Hawaiians and you're, and you say, well, what's your plan in case like the grid goes down? They're like, we have food, you know, and there's chickens, there's, there's wild pigs. There's, you know, there's a bunch of uh, smaller deer that are on this Island. Like they know, and obviously there's fish everywhere. Um, oh Yeah. The Hawaiians have a, a different set of survival skills than than most. And it's one of the coolest places to practice survival skills. Like you can get to a rainforest environment. I mean, they shop Jurassic Park there. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a wild place, but you have that security of the United States. You yeah. Know? So yeah. I, I love that. But uh, was that a yoga retreat? Because I know you're into into the flexibility aspect and some of the spiritual aspect of yoga. and yes. or, or was it a jujitsu retreat? Uh, no, it was a yoga retreat. Now, here's where it gets. So um, we purchased this retreat. Uh, we were supposed to go in 2020. We purchased it in 2019. And then this amazing thing that happened called a pandemic. Yeah. And then the pandemic kept pandemicking. <laughs> and um, so it got pushed off. And then finally, um, this year, we got to go. So this thing has been in the works for two years. And... Um, what I find really funny was leading up to it was the discussion. So myself and the, the instructor who organized and hosted the retreat, someone had asked us, like, are you excited to go? And like, well, you know, you don't seem excited. And it's like, well, I was supposed to go two years ago. (laughs) So if I get to go, I'll be excited, you know? Um, but we did, we finally touched on terra firma. And um, I actually, for a moment, thought about like actually kissing the ground, but I didn't want to freak people out. But I, I honestly was going to do it. I'm like, here we are. We're here. Um, it was a yoga retreat. And um, it was basically five days uh, of yoga uh, and meditation and sightseeing. And then we did the second week for ourselves just to, well, we're here. Let's let's check this place out and see what wonderful things there are, you know, you know, with uh, with yoga, you know, I I know some people might poo poo it. Right. They might only think of yoga as like girls in yoga pants. But, you know, Mike Lover, our our CEO here, Mike likes yoga Um, and I've done a little bit of yoga here and there. And I, I think generationally or maybe like in certain age ranges, like when you're young, you you want to like get fit. You want to get big. You want to like look good or whatever. But I think once you start aging a little bit more, you know, you start maturing like a, like a fine wine, you, uh, you need to do more for like maintenance. And I know Manon Dan has talked about like the importance of, of being limber and stretching in older age. It's more important to focus on that and not totally disregard like the, the lifting and the cardio, but I mean, it seems like you're more prone to those types of injuries once you get older. So, uh, I mean, have you found, I mean, cause you're, you're a little bit older than I am, but have you found in your experience 
Like, Hey, it's, this worked really well when I was this, like my twenties and my thirties now. Oh, sure. You know, it's honestly, it's the key to my longevity. Um, compared to most of my peers and contemporaries, I have either recovered from better or have sustained less injuries. Um, than I mean, all of the guys that I came up with, you know, um, or even, you know, people when they hear that I'm, I'm 50, you know, chasing 51 and I'm going to catch it. <laughs> um, they're like, wow, I didn't know you were 50. I'm like, yeah, you don't look 50. I'm like, it's because, you know, you, you have to move, you have to move. And, 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 and lifting weights is, is huge for preserving the body. Um, and I strongly recommend it. I, I mean, you need to lift. Um, I think yoga complements it because it, it approaches the, the development or the preservation of the muscle from a different aspect. Like it keeps it, like you said, limber. It keeps it um, supple even, you know. And I've seen guys, I know a guy who just recently sustained a very terrible injury. And it's just because he's just, his body has been like, all right, well, we've lifted for years, but you didn't do anything else with us. And I decided that I'm going to go and tear right now. You know, um, that's what happens. And anybody who, especially if you are a strong advocate of lifting weights, I, I think yoga is great. But if at the very least stretch, and sometimes people will stretch for like, all right, I stretched for a total of five minutes. Yeah, but you lifted weights for an hour. I don't think it, it's going to matter. It's like saying, you know, I eat right. Well, yeah, you ate right on Monday, but for the next 10 days, you ate junk food, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So that's how that, I believe that's how that applies. And that's my secret to, you know, to longevity. And, and staying in it, you know, and for, and for um, someone like you, I mean, for the listener who doesn't know, you know, Chris, I mean, you do a lot of activities that could potentially injure you pretty quickly. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> martial arts, right. Jiu-jitsu striking, uh, motorcycle, uh, riding, you know, like, uh, God, I mean, what, and I, I know, and I know that we've talked about this before about like different injuries, do you have like a, a brief laundry list of your injuries? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> uh, let's see. As far as like very technical or medically speaking, I sustained a spiral nerve injury when I was boxing. Um, some, so that's sort of like in the general vicinity of my rotator cuff on my right arm. Um, I broke my left ankle. Uh, that was horrible. Um, let's see. Uh, I sustained a couple of knee injuries, but nothing that put me uh, under the knife. Um, broken a lot of fingers. And, um, and <laughs> my most recent one, and I don't even know if you'd call it an injury, but I guess it is. It's, it's more... Uh, the result of wear and tear is uh, I developed plantar fasciitis mm -hmm. and that was probably the most miserable thing ever. Um, that one was no fun. Uh, 
and the rest of it, you know, just simple stuff. I mean, you know, I've definitely had my concussions from either being body slammed or, you know, motorcycle accidents. I've had those. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and a, and a couple of uh, cracked teeth from getting punched. So that's that's the the long and short of it. Yeah. And when we when we first met, I think one of the first things I, I noticed about you, you were taping up your fingers um, yes. because because our history, uh, for those of you guys listening, uh, I started training at a, at a Filipino martial arts school in Bristol, Connecticut in 2007. And around like, I don't know, fall of 2008, my instructor, uh, Manong Rich was like, yeah, we're going to bring in a, a good friend of mine. He's going to show you guys grappling. And we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Like we, we had screwed around, you know, doing a little bit of, you know, hand trapping and, and nothing ever technical on the ground. So, uh, so Chris comes in and, uh, and he brings a couple instructors with him, you know, assistant instructors with him. There was Jess, uh, Jesse meal. And then there was Colin. And, oh, yeah. and I remember I was like, cause one of my good training partners for a long time, uh, Todd, Todd Jensen, he's now a instructor up in uh, Tallinn, Connecticut. He and I were, were probably both pushing about 220, 230, and Jesse and Colin destroyed us, and they didn't even break <laughs> a sweat. But uh, but Chris was brought in, and he was like, I'm going to show you guys Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and we got hooked immediately. Um, and then at some point, uh, Chris was like, yeah, you know, you guys can come up to open mat, and you can train with us anytime you want up at my school up in Waterbury. And I'm like, okay. So we went up there, and I think this was probably – I think we didn't go up there until like spring or summer of the year following, but, uh, we finally went up there and the heat was, the heat was not off. Uh, it was actually on because the air conditioning was off and I was like, Holy crap, how do these guys do this? But, uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing, like his training. And when I first met him, it was totally different than, you know, like the, it was like a, a little bit more of like a gut punch. Uh, and, it was really, really interesting to, to just be thrown to the wolves and to not steal his thunder to describe it this way. But he said, when you're first learning jujitsu, it's like you're drowning and then you learn how to tread water and eventually you learn how to move forward. I'm like, okay. And for a long time we were drowning. Um, but, uh, can we talk about your martial arts journey? Because before you came in and taught me and Todd and all those guys, I mean, you were in the game for a long time. You were training with my instructor, like I think 20 years before up in Waterbury. So like, how did you first get started? What's your, your background? Cause people are probably like, Oh, who is this guy? Well, uh, <laughs> this is kind of one of those things. So the, the short message is listen to your parents. They know what they're talking about. So, uh, I'm a young kid. I'm when I was like four years old my mom uh, decided I needed to take martial arts for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, she wanted me to have something to do. Two, uh, I was small, very small for my age. And then, and, and three, I had a, a big mouth, you know, I wasn't a troublemaker, but I just, you know, I had a lot to say. And she's like, this kid's going to get his ass kicked, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so she had exposed me to uh, a little bit of Kung Fu and I, I didn't like it. Um, and then I went the, the Korean route, um, nothing against either of those arts. It's just in, in retrospect, I think it was the teacher didn't know how to reach me. Um, 
And, you know, I just, so I didn't like the classes, you know, so I would go and I would quit and I would go and I would quit. And she'd make me go back. She'd take me to a new spot. And this went on, uh, till I was about 16. And then one day I'm like, I kind of like this stuff. I'm not going to tell her I like this stuff, but I kind of like this stuff. So, uh, after, you know, over 10 years of just starting and stopping, I decided I'm, I'm not going to stop anymore. So I found a guy, uh, Neil Hoffler Jr. And, uh, he was this big burly guy, um, ran a old school, like, um, like a karate school that you would see in like the seventies, like, um, like, you know, like those, like, uh, like something that you would see like in, um, shaft or black dynamite, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was an old school, uh, traditional martial arts school in the, in the hood. All right. <laughs> no AC, no heat. And he was very tough on us, you know? So I'm training with him and I'm liking it. And I met him. He used to be the doorman at a bar that I used to try to sneak in all the time. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he's like, maybe you need to take some martial arts if you're going to hang out in a place like this. And I started with him and I went, I was with him for about two years. Uh, yeah. So from like, say 16, 17, maybe till around 18, 19, somewhere around there, you know. Uh, while I was training with him, I started buying martial arts magazines, you know, that's what everyone does, right? If you're into something, you should read about it, whatever it is. You know, if you're into archery, buy an archery magazine, guns, buy gun magazines. So I started buying these, uh, martial arts magazines. And just by chance, I learned that Bruce Lee had developed his own style of martial arts. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. I want to do that martial art. So I started reading about Jeet Kune Do and, and learning. I mean, there's a lot of information um, about Bruce and his art. So I found out that there was going to be a seminar being held in uh, New Milford, Connecticut. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going to go to this. So I'm still training with uh, Sensei Hoffler but I'm really getting into this Jeet Kune Do stuff. Everything that I'm reading, it's blowing my mind. Uh, so I found the G- I go to a Jeet Kune Do seminar, my first one ever, and was blown away. There's a guy in the corner um, who actually, it, he knew more than the guy who was conducting the seminar about Jeet Kune Do. And I'm like, who's this guy? You know, but I didn't, it was my, it was my very first martial arts seminar ever. So I didn't even really, you know, you work out with someone there, but I didn't get exchange any names or numbers, nothing, you know? So I leave and, uh, started taking notes and I'm like, I want to start doing more of this Jeet Kune Do stuff. But the guy he's in Milford and, you know, I'm in college at the time. So I didn't really have a good car. So I'm like, eh. So, and uh, so I'm going to have to get a job so I can make sure that I can always make it to class. And and plus I didn't have enough money to pay for the tuition anyway. While I'm looking for jobs in the newspaper, you know, cause at that time I was working at a, a 24 hour convenience store, <laughs> interesting characters you meet there. 
So there's a guy advertising that he teaches Filipino martial arts, that he teaches Jeet Kune Do, and I'm like, what? And it's in my town. And I'm mm-hmm. like, come on. So I call up the guy. I talk to him. He says, come by on this night. We've got class. I go. It's the guy from who was at the seminar who I said knew, you know, more than the instructor hosting it. That was Ron Kazakowski. Uh, and Ron Kazakowski was my first Jeet Kune Do instructor, my first official formal Jeet Kune Do instructor. We used to train in his garage um, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. And on off days, I would do a private lesson with him. And that went on uh, for about a year. So one day he's like, hey, I'm going to open up a, a school. And I'm like, cool. All right. So he does. He opens up a school. And I would say probably about a year or a year and a half into that, this guy comes in who's got the same last name as I do, <laughs> Smith. <laughs> and that was Guru Rich. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a, a karate background and, you know, he had played sports. So he's an athletic guy um, and he liked boxing and he's just an overall cool guy. So he fit right into the, the, the culture at the gym at the time, you know, and I can tell you that, and, and, and not to put anyone down when they train or where they train, but that gym, we were, we were tough. Like you had to be tough. You didn't have to be tough to start. You had to be tough to stay, you know, um, we, no one got victimized or bullied, but no one was going to let up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. On a Thursday night, you literally saw was Thursday night was always sparring night or hard sparring night. So you were, you knew on Thursdays you would see everybody taping them themselves up, they're you know wrapping these bandages, taping up their gear, <clears throat> and then it was just it was on. And uh, at that time, it was me, uh, my cousin, a couple of other guys, uh, Guru Rich. He was always in it. It's a lot, and we had a lot of fun. And a lot of fun. I don't think anyone ever had a bad experience in those days. Um, and and that was like uh, just a huge time of growth for me. Um, then around that time, I also got exposed to a uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, um, which back then, uh, the Gracies were traveling all over. Uh, the United States, but they were doing seminars, uh, like in, they would rent out banquet rooms at hotels and conference rooms at hotels. So you would have, I'm not kidding you easily a hundred people, sometimes more. No one had geese, just them. So it was all, even though it's, you're training with the Gracie's and they're all wearing geese, but we're, I mean, there'd be a couple of guys wearing geese or, you know, but most of them were, it was because they had judo backgrounds or something like that. These were the the early challenge seminars, right? Like where they would publicly say, come and try to defeat us. Yes. Yes. Um, As a matter of fact, I didn't try to take the challenge, but uh, I remember getting an opportunity to, to roll with um, Hoyler Gracie, who was basically the same size as me. And my mind refused to accept that this guy could wrap me up in a pretzel and choke me out. I just, I went like, no way, no way. I know I'm more athletic than this guy. I, I know I must be stronger. You know, so that's 
a 19 year old knucklehead talking, you know, (laughs) you know, um, but I, and so what happened, I tried to engage him hard and he taught me otherwise. Uh, he he didn't hurt me, but uh, I just remember him laughing. He's like, (laughs) not so tough, huh guy. And I'm like, yeah, I guess not. (laughs) Um, during all of that, I also started boxing, uh, competitively. Uh, and I did that because, um, had, I had a conversation with, uh, Paul Vunak and he had said, get in there with a boxer. He goes, you could get in there with a tie boxer, but it's not the same. The boxer's got a certain timing and a certain, uh, rhythm that he, uh, fights at. That's unlike any other combatant, you know? years later I understand like how right he was you know what I mean again Muay Thai is great Jiu-Jitsu is wonderful Jikundo is wonderful and, and you have to like look at all of these things for what they really are you know what I mean they're just tools to get the job done you know like if I want to drink hot chocolate I can't use a plate I have to use a mug I would not even want to use a glass because that'll if it's too hot, it'll break the glass. If I want to drink a beer, I use a pint glass. I wouldn't want to use a shot glass. Um, if you're eating soup, you can't use a fork. You've got to use a spoon. So the martial arts, they're, they're just tools, you know? You want to know how to hit somebody hard with a closed fist? You could learn how to do it in Krav Maga. You could learn how to do it in um, uh, Muay Thai. The boxer's going to hit harder and better, more just there's a different level of uh, efficacy, as they say. You and, know? It, and it seems like they have more of a special specialization, right? Like Muay Thai, yes. you know, art of eight limbs, right? Elbows, knees, feet and hands, you know, uh, you know, kickboxing, you know, you're still focusing on 50 50 upper body, lower body. The boxer can only focus, can only specialize in crushing you with their fists. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like that would be the person that you'd want to, you'd want to focus on and learn from because they're not worried at that, like mid range engagement where, where round kicks come in, you know, right. but they're already in the mix, you know, and they have sure. a better understanding of that space. I think. Yo, definitely. Definitely. You know, so at that time, I was just and that was also around the time that I decided that I wasn't going to go back to college also, <laughs> this, um, which didn't go over too well with, with the family. But um, I just I got hooked. I fell in love with the martial arts, you know. So I'm doing Jeet Kune Do every chance I can get with Ron. But I'm also going to seminars with Larry Hartzell and Paul Vunak. I'm, I'm doing seminars with the Gracies whenever I can. I'm, uh, Ron had some friends from Thailand who would come in on Sundays and we would tie box all day long. And then I was boxing at the local gym and I'm just loving it. You know what I mean? Um, and then they, every experience, it was great. You know, every experience I could sit there and share anecdotes about what happened in each of these experiences, you know, um, and just all of it, you know what I mean? Just life changing stuff. And, and, and life building stuff. Um, interestingly enough, when, during that time, uh, we had a, a guy who also used to train with us, uh, 
Ken uh, Shalinsky, and he had Wing Chun in his background. Uh, he and Ron used to train Wing Chun together, and then Ken came in uh, just, you know, uh, at the time, he was probably about 50 years old, and he was a huge advocate of Wing Chun and boxing, and he used to just, you know, at close range, to just destroy me. So I'm learning now the value of, okay, so I can't just rely on my athleticism. You can't because this guy, I, I'm again, I'm more athletic than this guy. I'm faster, I'm stronger, and he's just not having it. He's, he's like, so what? Look at this. Boom. This is leverage. Boom. This is technique. Boom. These are angles. You know what I mean? Um, I, I wouldn't trade any of it for anything, you know? Uh, now, at what point did you start training with uh, Sifu Bastillo? So <laughs> the first time I had an opportunity to train with Sifu Bastillo, I actually didn't go. I couldn't go. So uh, he came to Connecticut to teach a seminar, and um, he had a – it was like in the uh, Stanford area, and Ron went, my cousin went, all the guys went, and they came back and took notes. And I'm like, oh, man, and the reason why I didn't go is I had to work that day. And <laughs> so when I saw what they came back with after the, the first day of training, I'm like, I'm, I'm screw work. So, uh, um, like most martial artists, I've had like a whole bunch of jobs, mm -hmm. you know, in the pursuit you're going to find, if you ask any martial artist, most of them have had, they've either bounced at several places. They had nonsense jobs, uh, jobs that just like, you know, they did it all like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, doing janitorial stuff at this, this factory, a couple hours a night or whatever, whatever it is, you know, not to make light of what anyone does for a living, but it's always, for, it's always, how do I go in and, and finance my lifestyle, my martial arts lifestyle, but still have time to train whenever I need to. So I quit my job, went to the seminar the next day and was still when I clicked immediately. Um, he liked how I boxed. And then uh, that was the last I had seen of him. Uh, he came around a, a year later and I went and saw him and he asked me my name and we had been friends ever since. And I'm like, I, I like everything that you do. I like everything that you teach. You know, you're, you're awesome, you know? And, you know, most people don't realize this, but if it, it, it's safe to say that Dan and Asanto is and was the number one guy in Jeet Kune Do in the, you know, Bastillo was the number two guy. Um, he and Dan were best friends and training partners. Um, and, and they went and once Bruce died, uh, they continued developing Bruce's art and continued the research and, and just continued to perpetuate and share Bruce's art. Um, I would say this must have been somewhere like around 1993, maybe 94. No, it was, no, 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 no. Definitely it was 93. And um, I uh, asked him if I could enroll in his instructor's program. And um, Bastillo is, uh, if you didn't know him, too bad because he was just this awesome guy. But 
there's a reason why they called him the Iron Dragon or sometimes the Iron Man. He would be light. He'd be fun, jovial. Uh, but when it was time to be serious, you know what I mean? Like it would send chills down your spine, you know? And he, uh, when I told him that I wanted to be involved in his, his academy, he said to me, um, you like to train with different guys and different and, and different stuff. And I think it's great. Just keep in mind, if ever the day comes and it is required that you make a choice that you have to make a choice. You have to make the right one. And that was it. I, you know, basically pledged myself to the IMB and, uh, never looked back. Um, IMB as in international martial arts and boxing. That's the name of his, his academy. Um, and, um, it's a full, it's, it's a, a full curriculum. They address the striking arts. They address the grappling arts, um, uh, the Filipino arts. And they also even address, um, well, because of him. So he was an auxiliary officer with the LA Sheriff's Department. So, I mean, I'd gone shooting with him a couple of times and had been exposed to, I'll call it gun culture, mm-hmm. you know, and the importance of it. Um, again, if you, if, for those who've never had a chance to train with them, you really missed out. <laughs> um, and when I pledged myself to him, I kind of, I, I wouldn't say I, I turned my back on it. I definitely did not do that, but I just couldn't get enough of what he had going on, you know? So I was, still i was cross training with a lot of guys back then i was you know i had along the journey to becoming part of his organization i had achieved uh, an instructorship in jeet kundo in the filipino arts under ron kazakowski uh i had achieved uh full instructorship uh yeah with him i had achieved full instructorship in jeet kundo in the filipino arts from larry hartzell and paul vunak um, and then with Seagung Bastillo, I ended up getting a, a master instructorship. I, I'm like Connecticut's only four-time certified Jeet Kundo instructor. Not that that means anything. It just means that I'm a, I guess I obsess over something. <laughs> That's pretty much what all that means. But I've gotten a, a chance to see the different flavors. Um, and each guy adds a different twist. The same way when you're, you're training, uh, combatives or even um perhaps even with survival Mm -hmm. you know certain guys have certain things that they swear that they do and certain guys have certain things that they swear that you don't need to do um i I think it's wrong to just go with one specific flavor and say that this is the only way because it oftentimes isn't yeah, you're you know. you're on the the Fieldcraft Survival page that Mike started prepped life. And I know that people have asked that question like, "Hey, what's the best martial art?" You know, yeah. and they'll ask that the same way that they'll say, "Well, what's the best holster?" You know, or what's the best this? Like they're looking for that one and done, the silver bullet, you know. And until they've trained in a in a system, and I mean system in that like it's a conglomerate of different arts, right? In different disciplines of striking, grappling, weapons forms, you realize you can't just have one. And 
and it ticks people off. Like, and, and I, it does. And, and I, I don't mean to be a dick when I say things like this, like grappling is not the, the do all end all. And then they're like, what do you mean? It's the greatest thing ever. You know, like I want to do this. And it's like, does it address multi-man? And then they're like, well, you know, and then, then I say, well, okay. Well, and then people say, well, what about guns? You know, the gun, that's, that's my, my Glock foo. You know, like I hear that I don't yeah. know how many times <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so every solution is solved with a gun. Oh, you know, I wouldn't pull it then. That's, you know, muzzle discipline. And, you know, I, I, well, I'm not <laughs> stupid enough to do that. It's like, okay, but what if someone's trying to hurt you or your family, but it's not a lethal force encounter? Well, I wouldn't put myself in that situation. You know, like there, there's, there's all these excuses for why their, their, you know, sacred cow can't be touched. But oh, yeah. the reality is it's like, you need a little bit of everything to be well-rounded. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, jujitsu is, is something that I get known for a lot and I don't consider myself a jujitsu guy. I personally don't. I'm a third degree black belt in jujitsu, uh, under Luigi Mandeli. Um, and I like, you know, you know, Luigi, he's, he's another guy who is, he's doing it all. He is, you know, he's into knives, uh, and, and, and knife culture, you know, I know he, he's doing a lot of, uh, Atienza Kali these days. He loves firearms. He's trained with a host of different guys. Um, and even with his jujitsu, he constantly, constantly brings in, uh, guys who have a different processor than his, when it comes to, uh, applying and training jujitsu. And I love that, you know? Um, yeah, his, uh, that last seminar that I went to with him, I think it was just before Corona, uh, he came in and he's like the topic of the seminar. And he's saying it with that big, big smile on his face. He's like, it's dirty jujitsu. He's like, it's sneaky, you know? And, (laughs) and I can't tell you, I've pulled off that, that one armed, uh, Kimura on a few people. And they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, it's dirty jujitsu. I can't talk to you about it. You know, like it's. But yeah, he, he told me one time, he's like, I like being a white belt in something new, you know? Yes. And, and, and that goes to that, that kind of universal idea within martial arts. Like, you know, you can, you can learn a little bit about weapons and striking and, and this and that. So he's, he's constantly trying to, you know, fill his cup with something, something new. Um, yeah. What a, what an interesting character. Um, yeah. You know, so I had received my black belt from, a guy fabiano tellis an extremely talented jiu-jitsu player he's i mean uh, an amazing talent and then at one point he retired and so i'm like i gotta find a new guy to help me continue my growth and i had known luigi for a couple of years and i i always liked his energy and the and the community and the culture at his gym and then when i got closer to him and found out that he you know, that he likes to be, a, he wants to be a white belt. He's happy to be a white belt in something, you know? And the way he looks at a, a warrior culture, I'm like, this is the guy. If I'm going to be affiliated with anyone, it's got to be him because I, I, we see each other, you know? <laughs> um, we meet on a, on, a, on, a, on a terrain that just makes sense, you know? You got to know how to do this. You got to know how to do this. And I mean, he's got some stuff in the works, uh, for, you know, combatives training, 
that's just like when he told me what he's got cooking, I'm like, oh my God. Like I've thought about this stuff. You're doing it. <laughs> um, so it just was a great fit. So bringing it back in while I am a, a third degree black belt in jujitsu and I love jujitsu and I have a side career as a re- referee for jujitsu tournaments and stuff. It's not the answer. It's part of it. it. You know what I mean? At times it can answer your self-defense questions. And then sometimes it can't, you know, like you said, if the multiple attackers, if there's seven guys, yeah, you're going to choke one and the other six are going to just start walking all over you, <laughs> um, which is not cool. If boxing's, you think if boxing's your only answer, you're going to be in for a nasty surprise because once you hit the floor, a good jujitsu guy, a good wrestler, he's not going to let you back up. Um, if if kicking is your the strength of your skill set, well, what do you do when it's slippery out? What do you do when you've got uh, patent leather shoes on? You know what I mean? And you're dressed in a tuxedo at a wedding. You know, you can't kick somebody in that stuff. Um, or what if you're a woman and you're and kicking is the strength of your skill set and you're wearing high heels and you've got a, an evening gown on. You're not kicking anybody. You're not going to do much jujitsu in that either, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the, the other dynamic, which a lot of people don't think about, is you carry a gun, but you've never brought your family to the range. So when gunfire and I'm thinking like little kids, gunfire erupts, where do those kids go? Do they run in front of you, behind you, to the side of you? Do they... You know, do they find whoever, whoever else is in your family? And like, do you guys have a plan, you know, or are you just yeah. hoping that something is going to go right? And that kid is, is going to be fine. I mean, there's so many of these, these scenarios, these what ifs. And, and like I said, people get really offended when you start asking them questions, but I think they're just more upset at the truth, you know, sure. and they're upset that they have a deficiency because no one likes to admit like, Hey, I, you know, maybe I should, you know, lose 10 pounds. No one likes to admit that. No one likes right. to admit, oh man, that guy got the best of me. Why don't you just say, look, I'm learning. And that guy got the best of me. Maybe I should ask him, hey, how did you do that? You know, yes. like people yeah. don't like humble pie. Um, but when you start presenting these questions to people, as opposed to saying, well, you can't do that with high heels on. No, no, no. Ask him, what do you do when you have heels, on, have high heels on? Hopefully it's not a dude, but, uh, right. you know, <laughs> but then again, I mean, it's, you know, 2022. So, uh, you know, you think about it, like you let these people become their own worst enemy in their head. Like, damn it, he's got me, you know? And then you see what their next response is. But, uh, what's your, what's your advice for the person? Cause like, obviously we're both condoning this idea of being multifaceted striking grappling. Would you advocate for someone to get really good at striking to a point where they're like, Hey, I'm comfortable and then get really good at grappling. Or would you say like, or, and obviously weapons forms too, but we, or would you say like, Hey, you should take all three and kind of try to level up at the same time. Or like if someone were to ask you that on the street, what's your answer? So, um, I think, I think you can do all of it at the same time, but you've got to be a good student. And I don't just mean showing up to class. I mean, I mean, do you take notes? Do you keep a journal, a training journal? Um, do you get together with training partners? And do you do extra work on your own? And there's a lot of extra work that you can do at home at 
5 a.m. before, you know, you get ready for work or, you know, 10 p.m. before you get ready to go to bed for the night. You know what I mean? It, But I think sometimes people just want like a nice, neat, easy package. So I think you, you can do all three, um, at least when it comes to the empty hand stuff. Now, you do run the risk of, of perhaps uh, a delayed learning process. But if you're, te- if you're taking notes, and I think most of the time when people do take notes and when they go back and check their notebook, and I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening that it's that slow of a process. Now, if you're the type of person who doesn't take notes and isn't going to do the extra work, then yeah, I, I think maybe do, I would say maybe do six months of boxing uh, or, or a year of Muay Thai, you know, um, if that's your thing. I think that'll give you a good handle. It's not going to, I mean, you won't be, um, you know, uh, golden gloves ready. You won't be, you know what I mean, uh, glory kickboxing ready. But you should be able to deal with your the average threat from someone who doesn't train. Now, jujitsu is is where things get tricky because <laughs> it can take you at least six months just to get the basics down, knowing how to identify when you are stuck, when you are in danger, when you know you're about to get choked, when you can't apply any of your other attributes to escape. And then it's going to take you another six months on the average to start to be able to apply offense, you know, um, jujitsu is a performance-based skill set. Uh, and, um, you get, you know, I mean, you're going to get dragged. You're going to get your butt kicked a lot before the benefits show up. You'll have fun and you can have a lot of fun training, but in order to, it, it takes time. It takes flight time to be able to sit there and say, you know what, that guy is six foot three, 220. I could choke him. You know what I mean? You, six months of jujitsu, unless you're the same size as that guy and at least the same level of physical conditioning, you're not going to choke him. Unless he makes a mistake. You know, you, you say that and I think of like guys at, at IMBCT and I'm like, all right, Big Mike, there is one summer where Big Mike locked me down in half guard. I don't know how many times I was trying to pass, trying to pass. And Big Mike, for you guys listening, he's like 280 and just a monstrous man, right? <laughs> yeah. So he kept locking me down, locking me down. Well, I eventually one night we had practiced this half guard pass where you do like a back step and you push your leg out and then you remount. And I did it to Big Mike one time. And he's like, damn it, how'd you do that? And I made the mistake of showing him. And then <laughs> it happened all over again. You know, like like you find a solution and then you find that your opponent, your training partner finds the, the solution and then they figure out a way to do it again. And it's just, it's fun though, because the average person on the street, and this is what I always tell people, if the average person on the street doesn't train and you're used to working with these trained fighters, you absolutely have an advantage over the average person on the street. Like, sure. And I've gotten into arguments with people at different events where they've gotten heated and I'm just totally calm. And people are like, wow, how are you able to stay so calm in that? I'm like, 
his level of verbal violence was nothing compared to the guys that I'm used to at night. I'm, I'm cool. You know, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not discrediting what he potentially could do, but I'm not going to get all flustered because that pressure testing, that grit, you know, like when you're talking about, like, you have to be hard at certain schools, like, like, all right, we're going to do five minute rounds. We're going to do 10 minute rounds, you know, like, like that builds character. You know, and absolutely, absolutely, and it it transfers over into your your everyday life. Um, One of the things that I used to love, like just those Friday night open mats, you would always tell us, like, "Oh, you've got to watch this fight against this guy with this guy," or "You've got to see this YouTube." Are there any videos right now that are circulating, or are there any in your top ten list? Like, the average person needs to watch this, and they will be amazed at. A level of performance like I, I can remember you saying this about certain grapplers you know like you got to watch you know michelle nicolini do uh you know shin yeah. hit, you know stuff like that like she's the best you know like is there anyone right now that's on your your youtube you know favorites list yes so uh my and i always come back to this guy um because i think he wrote the playbook on on how to kill the giant uh and that's leo vieira you know Sometimes they call him Leozinho, which is just like the the Brazilian way of saying little Leo. But Leo Vieira, um, his uh, ADCC, Abu Dhabi Combat Club, match against Mark Kerr is – that is the playbook on if you're going to fight a big guy, you watch that. I mean like there was probably a a 100 pounds weight discrepancy. And Leo Vieira, I mean, he lost, I, I get quote unquote, you know what I mean? You, you watch the match and you'll say, this little guy did not lose. But it's not about that. But he took Mark Kerr to task. They interviewed Mark Kerr after this match, and he said it was like trying to wrestle water. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, and so that's awesome, you know? Um, I think uh, another uh, the martial artist in me always comes back to like some of the guys like uh, like Anderson Silva um, and unfortunately for Rich Franklin, you know what Anderson Silva did to Rich Franklin with his clinch was that was a clinic on how do you brutalize another human being like you know how do you legally beat the living snot out of somebody and not get arrested look at that um if for someone who has uh, a love of kicking and a love of uh what the what the possibility is of being an awesome kicker in combat uh i would say look at edson barboza um his highlight reel is just watch it and you're going to be like, Oh my God, I never knew that someone could do this with their legs, you know? Uh, and if we're talking grappling, uh, for the street, I would say you watch Khabib because what he was doing to guys, he was just basically smothering people. He's dragging them to the floor and just smothering them like a, like a, First, he flows over him like a silk blanket, and it's like at the snap of your fingers, the blanket turns into lead, you know, or maybe concrete, and an opponent gets neutralized, you know. 
so th- those are the guys that I think are great to watch if you're looking for like supplemental stuff or, or conceptual stuff that like might point you in a direction of how you want to uh, further develop your skills. Yeah. And what about for like a guy or a gal right now, like up and comer, like what's the name to watch? Ah, okay. So this one isn't too much of an up and comer, but she's definitely the name to watch. Uh, That would be Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, She fights in the UFC. um, Speaks seven or eight different languages. um, And like, if you look at her, her resume, she's just so impressive and she just keeps winning in more spectacular fashion each time. Now, uh, I gotta plug someone, which, <laughs> um, as far as once she steps back into the cage again, you know, Jesse, mm-hmm. you know, Jesse is, um, She's probably the hungriest athlete I've ever worked with, you know, uh, Jesse Mealy. She um, she likes to learn. Uh, she takes notes. Um, she applies herself. And she's probably the toughest woman that I know personally. You know what I mean? Like, like she won't back down. I've seen her like, I mean, blood spilling out of her face and she's still coming back for more um fought five rounds and still ready to fight more you know what i mean like she's just she's cut from a different cloth you know um no offense to most of the men i know but she's definitely tougher than most of the men that i know like i have no problem saying that like easily tougher than most of the men i know like you know it takes a certain individual to sit there and and know that like this is all of this is going to hurt for the next 15 minutes. If it's a three rounder, the next 25 minutes, this is going to be a very grueling, painful experience, but I'm doing it, you know? Okay. <laughs> yeah. She's got a mean bicep cutter too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been on the receiving end of that one. Um, she was one of the first actually, not to sound chauvinistic, but she was one of, she's the first and so far the only woman to submit me like head up in training. And I don't say that as if to say like, Oh, I'm a big deal. What I mean is that like, I have an edge, you know, I'm a man, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And there are some spectacular female players in jujitsu, but you know, you know, I, I never give her anything. You know what I mean? You can't to, to treat Jesse lightly is a mistake. And, um, I remember we're rolling one time and she caught me in a footlock and I'm like, she's not going to get it. And she's cranking it. And I'm like, she's not going to get it. And I'm like, damn it. She's got it. Damn it. She's got it. And I held on. I'm like, ah, and I tapped and I was just like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. early, early on, like this is like 2008, 2009, I remember like, this is the first experience I'm having, like, which is guard passing, like just rounds of guard passing, like not even, not even submissions, just changing positions. And I remember I've got my guard wrapped around Jesse and I'm holding as tight as I can. And she puts that knee right on top of my cup and she crushed my balls so hard. I was like, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm like, I will never say, oh, I'm going to go easy. It's a girl, you know, like right. maybe, that's, maybe that's like me, like growing up, like with a dad that was old fashioned being like, hey, don't hit women. But like you, you better hit Jesse. Like if she, right. <laughs> like you're not stopping her. Um, she's a tough, tough woman. Um, but then in the, like the nicest person you'll ever meet, like totally friendly. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when you talk to her, she's like in the conversation. She's not zoned off, like just good person. Um, heart of gold, heart that, of gold. Now, what's next for you? Like, I know that you're you're getting into firearms. You're, you're doing the archery thing. Um, you and Missy are doing a whole bunch of stuff. You're getting people involved at the gym, too, which I think is really cool because it's not just like, uh, hey, you're going to go train martial arts here. And when you leave, we'll train martial arts the next time. Like you're encouraging people to live that the martial lifestyle. Uh, yes. I know Efren is is big into firearms now. Like like everyone seems like they're they're taking their their preparedness to the next level, um, which you don't find that in a lot of martial arts schools, which if anyone's listening and you're like, Hey, I want to get my kid into a program. See if the instructor is actually living the way that they're teaching in the class, you know, like, yeah, because I think yeah. what you're doing is, is next generation stuff. Like it's, it's tip of the spear. You know, what's funny. Thank you for saying that. Um, you mentioned Ephraim. So we've got right now, like say, especially like a Friday night, because you've been there on Friday nights. Friday yeah. nights are the big night at the gym. If just say some random guy, if someone ran in with a, a firearm, that would be like the biggest mistake because there's on any given Friday night, there's probably about 10 firearms minimum in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're all into it, you know, and, and we're starting to, we've learned to build them. Uh, we go shooting together. Um, it, it's been really cool, you know, and, and you know how uh, everyone does. It's like, well, I've got these, well, I've got these. Well, can I try yours a couple of times? And you, you know, it, it's, it's cool. Um, and then now with Luigi's help, he's like, you know, Hey, if you guys need anything, I can get you this, I can get you this. So it really is without it being a formal militia, I guess you could say we've definitely created the beginnings of a support system. If I don't ever think, I honestly don't think that something will happen on U S soil, but if it did inside of a few phone calls, we could, we could, you know, have a plan to mobilize. And then within a few more phone calls, I would say within, I don't know, 48 hours, we could, we, we would be something, you know? And the, and the other thing too, like, you know, we're joking like, Hey, militia, militia, but like, I know that we're on the right side of the law. Cause I've worked with, I don't know how many cops at your school, you know what I mean? Like how many guys can you think of that you've met through martial arts that are, that are wearing the badge, you know? And it's oh, such yeah. a good feeling when, uh, like, like my buddy, George, I know he's probably listening. George, the first time I grappled with him or, or screwed around with him, he's like the average person that has a martial arts background is going to be a terror to the cop that's just off the street that got academy training. It's like, you know, but there's such a good relationship there with cops and, and martial arts schools. I think so many schools are willing to say like, Hey cops, come on in for free training, you know? And I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen them come up there and be like, Hey, look, you know, I'm not learning this in the Academy. This is great stuff. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. 
Um, oh yeah. You know, what do you think is missing from law enforcement training in terms of like, cause you know how everyone is saying now like, Oh, uh, every cop should be a blue belt. And I start thinking, I'm like, that's the wrong approach. You know, like you, you can't speed up that process and you can't also dilute it for right. expediency. But like, what do you think is missing from, from law enforcement training that they could get from, from guys like you or, or other martial arts guys? So that that's, I wish more administrators would ask me this, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, of course the civilian asked me. <laughs> uh, so, um, well, let me rewind. Recently, I spent two weeks at the uh, police academy, at the Waterbury Police Department's police academy, and I, I worked uh, as a cons- consultant and guest instructor with them. Um, and we covered as much as we could in that two-week span, you know. Um, break falls, the basics of the positions and the importance of the positions, you know, side control, mount. Uh, guard, you know, how to pass the guard, how to use the guard if you end up on your back, uh, you know, and of course the basics of striking. Um, and that came about because uh, two uh, of my former students, well, I mean, they still do grab a, a class when they can. Um, Captain Frank Capozzi and Sergeant Renato Crea not not to not to derail you yet, but is that Frank sure. Capozzi? Is that the guy that you talked about that had that crazy shoulder pressure? No, that's that's uh, Eddie Apicella. Okay, <laughs> Assistant Deputy Chief Eddie Apicella. Now, so again, it, Waterbury things are a little different because at least there's an appreciation of of the value of the martial arts and of jujitsu. So, Assistant Deputy Chief Eddie Apicella, he's a fourth degree black belt. Um, in jujitsu. Um, uh, then you've got, um, one of my senior students, John Goog, uh, you know, John, Oh yeah. um, he can do it all. He's a very good striker. He loves the Filipino arts. He loves close quarters combat. He's a Brown belt in jujitsu. Um, this year he'll be getting his black belt. Um, he doesn't know this, but if he ever listens to this, he'll know it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it's you know it's time, and they they've been recently grooming him to uh, become one of the trainers um, for the Waterbury Police Department. You know, he's already a cop, and and he's well liked and well loved, not just because he's a of his personality, but because he's the kind of guy who gets in there. You know what I mean? He's very level headed. Uh, very calm, very laid back, but he's, he's assertive when he needs to be. And he's the type of guy who you want him on your side. You know what I mean? You're happy when he's in the building, you feel safe when he's in the building. Having said all of that, I believe that unfortunately in the Academy, they don't get enough time. And I don't think that it gets impressed upon them that they should take the time in their spare time, you know? Um, I mean, you have some cops who never go to the range even, you know? I don't know if that's a good idea. You know what I mean? I think if you look at 
experts in any field and, and we demand that police be professionals and they should demand that they be professionals and we should demand that they be professionals. But you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't want a doctor who hasn't practiced medicine uh, in 30 years to do surgery on me. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I believe that the people who are in it, the true professionals, they stay active at least on some level. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, they're always revisiting their knowledge. They're, they're supplementing their knowledge, seeking out new knowledge. And I believe that if anything, perhaps maybe there should be a program where cops are, you know, they do, if they, you know, basically work five days a week, maybe one day a week out of that five, they're doing combatives training, you know? Um, but imagine if they did that one day a week, which mean at least, you know, 52 times a year, they're as part of their job, they're training, you know, uh, because unfortunately I've heard it said, you know, I, and this is the sad thing. And, and I'm a, I come from law enforcement in my family, but I've heard it said like, uh, they'll announce, Hey, everybody, we're going to be training, uh, with Chris Smith on Saturday, uh, 9 AM. And I'll hear guys, you know, some of the officers go, are we getting paid to go? It's like, <laughs> whoa yeah dude, this could save you you know what i mean like i take classes all the times on things that i'm not paid to do or you know I, it's just knowledge <laughs> yeah and every so often you find that like that one guy who is paying out of pocket and you know it's just grinding because they want to they want to level up you know what i mean and yes and that's the person that you tend to gravitate towards and you're like i bet i could learn a lot from you as a student you know how to how to be a good student in this class. And I'm sure you picked up a lot of cool stuff, but, uh, Oh yeah. You know, so, there's a guy, yeah. uh, he's on Facebook. He's also on Instagram, but I don't know who he is on Instagram. I know. I mean, I know who he is. I just don't, I can't remember his handle, but his name is Chad Lyman and he's an older guy and he's, a uh, he's deep in jujitsu, but he boxes also. And he's a law enforcement guy mm -hmm. and he's always, you know, facilitating some type of training for, for cops. Um, we have a guy at Luigi's, uh, David Ferris, um, who just got his black belt. He's a state trooper. This dude is huge. He's a big man. He came from a wrestling background. To be honest, he doesn't need jujitsu, but, <laughs> but he's still, and he's starting to run the combatives program at Luigi's school, you know? So it's like, Here's a guy who doesn't need it because he's 300 pounds of muscle. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't need jujitsu. No one's choking him. No one's going to armbar him. No one's taking him down. And yet he's doing it. So when you see those guys setting that example, how dare we not follow it? You know? Yeah. Be the example. You know, yeah. that's like the way to live, right? Like li live a life that other people would want to, to follow. Um, because if, you know, go into a cheesy expression like if one guy can do it i can do it you know what i mean like yes so yes what so what's what's next um because we're running you know towards the end of this our time here but what's next for you in like the next six months a year you know because so, if you're gonna put on a white belt and something what's it gonna be <laughs> well 
what's next uh, in um <laughs> what's next is i'm getting married i know <laughs> so that'll be new <laughs> so i'll be a white belt in marriage um no i'm excited about that so, but i am getting married in august um i'm working on uh uh an online training program mm-hmm. and i'm finally got a handle on what how to present the content you know what i mean i was had already started producing it but every time i would put it together i'm like "Mm, why would somebody how do i get someone to see the value in this or could i get someone to come back for more if i you know what i mean so i finally have figured out a a plan for how to present it and roll it out um i've been testing the waters with fight choreography also um Jesse just recently did some, uh, uh, some stunt work and, uh, I had helped her leading up to it, you know, um, just giving her some tips here and there. So I think those two things, uh, and that's like within the next six months to a year, but moving beyond that, honestly, I'd like to say that. I'm formidable with a firearm and I'd like to catch up to my fiance with her archery skills. You know, <laughs> she's leaving me in the dust. Like, <laughs> like she's hitting bullseyes and I'm hitting the target, <laughs> which accounts for something, but she's definitely, uh, you know, she's, she's the sharpshooter of, of the two of us. Oh man. Yeah. So you got a busy plate. <clears throat> I do. I do, but it's awesome. You know, I mean, like I'm happy to have that, you know, I mean, uh, I I can't, I, for myself, what else am I really going to do with my free time? You know what I mean? Like I'm not the type of guy who wants to just have a big house and just sit around and do nothing. You know what I mean? I want to have a home that's, you know, warm and got food in it and some peace and quiet, but I want to do stuff. I want to, I want to learn. You know, I, I like, I like being a student, you know, um, working with the guys and and you know, something else I, I decided that this year I'm going to go and make all of my students teach a seminar, um, independently at the gym. Like I, uh, so, so far John Gagne's done it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Randy is next, then Ephraim and they're going to like, it's them. Like, in other words, for the next four hours, they're teaching their what they believe needs to be taught, you know, what they believe people need. Um, so I'm really excited about that because I've got five black belts right now and they are all dynamically different. Yeah. I think, <clears throat> I think uh, one of the other things we got to do is I got to get you out to, uh, to be a guest instructor at one of the courses here because we've got some stuff lined up for the fall that, uh, I think you would really enjoy, but I mean, it seems like you got a crazy, crazy schedule. So we'll try to, we'll try to coordinate that. And if we can, it'll be awesome. So, so the big question now is, uh, the way that I always end up with these podcasts, where can people find you? Where can they continue the discussion with you? I mentioned that you're on prep life, but where else can people reach out to you? Well, I am on Facebook. Uh, I'm kind of quiet there, but I'm there. Uh, I am on Twitter. 
Um, I don't tweet much, but I, I'm always there. <laughs> I am probably because, you know, I'm not a political guy. Um, I follow politics. I follow what goes on in the world, but I don't think that sitting there and saying I am this is going to help anybody or help me. You know what I mean? I think the moment you start saying I'm this, you just closed the door to a whole bunch of people or a whole bunch of people will close a door to you. Um, but I'm there. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Uh, C Smith, I M B C T. I'm also on uh, Instagram as Christopher Smith, IMBCT. Um, and again, I am on Facebook and uh, just Christopher Smith. And uh, you'll see a picture of me and a tall Filipino guy. <laughs> That's, <laughs> you know, Bastillo. That's my profile pic. And um, yeah. And, and if anyone wants to say hi, they should say hi. You know, I, I it can also be reached through email, but. Does anyone even really use email? I don't think people are even using that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I guess you can call us boomers if we use email. It's too slow. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man. But I would say if anyone wants to talk to me, please reach out, ask me a question or, or ask me to ask you a question. You know what I mean? Like I love talking about, I could talk about the martial arts lifestyle all day. Like literally all day. My kids are sick of hearing about it. My fiance is probably like, oh boy, here he goes again. Um, but I could. I, I love talking about it because you learn something each time. Each of these conversations, you know, uh, again, it's just, it's just, there's, I can't let go of the fact that there's so much knowledge out there. Yeah. And even a conversation is better than not having that conversation, right? It's not maybe the same, uh, value, you know, that you get out of physical training, but you're right. still running a mental rep rather than just scrolling through Instagram, looking for whoever, or whatever, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Chris. Well, Hey dude, thanks so much for, for being on. We could go on and on and on. Trust me. Like I, I, I mean, this is just a highlight of some of the conversations we've had, but hopefully it won't be the last time. And uh, I hope people do take you up on your offer to reach out to you and, and talk to you because you got so much information and, and such a unique way of, of looking at, at this martial arts journey that people should be on. Thank you. I, I had a great time doing this and um, I, I love following what you guys have got going on. Um, I mean, you look and every time Mike is doing something, I'm like, Oh wow, look at this. You know what I mean? And, and telling my friends about it and hopefully they follow it. I don't know. Cause I think, uh, again, how do you pass up these opportunities, even though it's just a taste, but you know, you know, a taste is enough to like inspire. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well guys, this has been, uh, the field craft survival podcast. You've been listening to me, Kevin Estella, with uh, my good friend, my instructor, and uh, my someone who you should definitely be paying attention to, uh, Chris Smith of IMBCT uh, in Connecticut. So, guys, we're going to wrap this one up, but thanks so much for listening, and until the next time. <laughs>